still recovering from the weekend. Two Leafs talks, Argos game, and one of the hardest things to do, which is sit, sit down on my couch all day long and watch football. Yeah, it could the, be taxing. The saddest part is I was trying to be a, a real tough guy going, I'm not waking up for Colts, Patriots. <laughs> no, I will not do that. I woke up for Colts, yeah. Patriots. I watched. You, you were up watching Bailey Zappi try to... I did. Fit a ball into triple coverage. I did see that. <laughs> I saw. I didn't watch the first quarter, okay? Okay. Look, yeah. sleep in. I didn't did. even sleep in. I woke up. I was talking to my buddy about bets. Oh, we, yeah, yeah. We had a phone call talking about bets, and this has been my worst gambling season on the NFL. Really? Yeah, unquestionably. I, I'd love to see the person that is winning in the NFL right now. It, this has been a nightmare year. Truly. You can't... Because here's the thing. Everybody does teasers. Everybody does, uh, you know, three-leg parlays. Everyone loves the mm-hmm. additional juice on a parlay. And this weekend, every, I'm, I don't know how many people loved the Bengals and the Ravens. Oh, yeah. And just got absolutely snapped. Yeah. And even, Tying those two to all sorts of little tickets. And... For me, it was, I loved the under in the Vikings-Saints game. I went, your boy... Car sucks. Yeah, it's terrible. He's not going to score. Your guys' offenses are two. Of, it's one of the worst in all of football. Can't do anything. They don't score touchdowns. They're a field goal team, which they were until the over king stepped into the game, Jameis. Yeah. But then Josh that dude Tom, is electric. By the way, I have a lot of thoughts on yeah, Jameis as a Saints yeah, no, fan. That guy is electric. I don't know how you couldn't want Jameis as a Saints oh, fan. Oh, you do. Yeah. You at for least, sure. Do. Hey, at least something's going to happen with Ugh. him. But it's Josh Dobbs and it's week two of an offense. They're missing all their guys. Addison's not right. They're starting. I always say, is it, what's his name? Belil? No. What's Powell? Uh, Who's Belil Powell? Oh, he's an old Bill running Powell's back. An old running back, yeah. The old running back. He had a cup of coffee on our fantasy teams back in the day, I think. Belil something. That's on the Vikings. KJ Osborne was there. They KJ, were, yeah, yeah, that's what top. I mean. They have no guys, and it's just Josh Dobbs marching down the field. Dime, he's dime, looking like Randall dime. Cunningham. Your pass was just doing nothing. It's just a, like... Yeah, I'm at a loss with, with football betting. I actually did okay with the 4 o'clock games. Thank you to the Seahawks. Thank you to the Lions. Yeah, thank yeah. you to the over in the Chargers and Lions game. So yeah. it's like some slight recovery. But it's just a beating every single week that I'm taking in the NFL. Beatings over and over and over again. Just nonstop. It's just bad. Much like the Vancouver Canucks took on Saturday mm. night. Ooh, how's about that? Mm. How's about that one? Okay, so... If you're a Leafs fan, this is what you're hoping for. This is, this is it. This is the thing that you need to see again. Can the Leafs continue to replicate that game from Saturday night? The Friday game, all right, but the Saturday night game, that's a team where they're battling for one another. They get secondary scoring. They still get a big goal from one of their stars, a beautiful goal from Nylander. And I, I don't know if we're already calling Nye's a top six guy. I know he plays in the top six, but he's not in the group that I'm talking about here. But he, he gets a tuck. You get solid goaltendings, nothing spectacular, nothing just, oh, wow, they, the, he goalied the other team. That's just not going to be the Leafs' formula this year. It's not going to be their path to victory. There was like a slight moment where we thought maybe Wool was going to be one of those guys, and I, I think that hope has dissipated quite a bit. Not to say he can't, but the likelihood of it, we could probably say is low. The Leafs are not going to be a team that's built on goaltending. They're a team that's going to be built on having capable goaltenders who make saves. The ones from the outside, the ones that are outside the home plate area, can they have goalies who don't give them the backbreakers? And then a blue line that just plays within their capabilities, doesn't make a ton of mistakes, 
and doesn't just have some of the worst defensive zone coverage that we've seen in since, you know, the Gretzky era, since the <laughs> 80s. Against uh, what is a deeper division than I think a lot of us thought it was going to be. Anyways, can they replicate it? I think that's going to be the story moving forward. Uh, Justin Bourne of Real Kipper and Bourne and of least regional games of everything and uh, infrequent visitor to this show. But now back. Good morning, buddy. Oh, that was good. Good morning. Hello. Oh, go. Hi, yeah. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, you started off. It's, just... <laughs> it's been so long since I've used these headphones that I forgot if mute was in or out. I'm yeah. alive. I'm yeah, here. Okay, that's good. Because, yeah, you started off, like, crackling as though it was we were trying to reach you in a different dimension. <laughs> <laughs> I'm present. It's all good. Yeah, you're in this one. You're in our dimension. Okay, so let's just start with that. Do you think that the team found something on the weekend? Yeah, I mean, I think what you're looking for is what does it look like when it works? What does it look like when, you know, the plan, which we're supposed to have, is executed and everyone does their job? And, yeah, that's that's really encouraging that there is a version of this Leafs team that you go, okay, you know, like I can see how that can work. Like, you know, and we'll get into the finer details, I'm sure. I still don't love every part of the plan, but – Plan aside, when it works like that, boy, it sure looked really good, didn't it? Yeah, it did. It looked really nice. That was by far the most enjoyable game of the season for me. I needed it because I had spent five hours in the cold. Well, just the Argos (laughs) game, and I was five hours in the cold. And you know when, okay, it wasn't that bad. I dressed properly. But you know when you're in the cold for a really long time, how it basically just takes you all day to heat back up? Right. You're just there's there's something about that where it's hours upon hours upon hours of just needing to warm back up. And then by the time you do, you're sleepy. So I needed a Leafs game. <laughs> I needed a Leafs game that was entertaining, that actually had moments in it, because had it been some kind of nondescript game that the Leafs lost three nothing, I would have done Leafs talk and Sam would have gone. So what do you think of that game? I would have been like. I thought the sweaters were nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'd been looking at my app on my phone going, who scored the goals? Yeah, that one was pretty good. Uh, That one was all right. No, they really needed that one. I like what you said about just you can kind of see it, right? Of course, they're not going to be a perfect team. I would say that that's the majority of the NHL. You're doing your national hour now, so I know you're watching way more games. Who do you really love outside of Vegas, right? Yeah. No, honestly, Colorado's gotten shellacked a couple yeah. of times. Like, there's not really teams where you're, like, unbeatable. Yes. No, every team is flawed at this point. Yeah, I, it, this is what the NHL wanted all along. It's just the full parody league where it just every team every night can be the same. And no one loves their team. And there's seven <laughs> interchangeable guys on the roster where you go, oh, that guy's probably not going to be here long term, right? Imagine if teams just started selling jerseys of all the players, right? <laughs> like the teams are- They're like, yeah, like honestly, teams have guys. It's like they have Cole Blakeman and yeah. Blake Coleman. And yeah. this is, you know, Trent Johnson and John Trenton. Oh, there's I don't a, know who anyone yeah, is. There's a lot of Trent Johnsons in the league right now. There's just... I, I try to tune into others. I watched that uh, the the ass kicking that was put down uh, by the Kraken on the on the Avalanche the other night, mm-hmm. and I watched a Vegas ass kicking of Colorado too because I keep tuning into their games because they're later ones. And I go, oh yeah, your record's good. Let me see this Colorado team that was promised. They're they're I think deeper than maybe the Leafs are, but they also just have a ton of who are you guys? That's yeah. every single team in the league right now. It drives me nuts. It's really hard, man. I I hope that I hope the cap well, going up. Black cap, dude. 
I know, but what I think is too is there's, there there are just too many teams, right? In the NBA right now, you look at it and say, wow, there's so much talent. Every single team has so many players, and each team has a couple of really interesting guys. And the NHL, you look at it and go, I think we could do without six of these teams. <laughs> you know, yeah. take six teams out, bump the cap up just a touch, and I think the league would be a lot better for it. But hey, whatever. I guess we're just gonna have this this kind of league for the the meaningful future because that's just the way it feels. So like that that's kind of how I'm looking at the Leafs is not mm-hmm. to make excuses for them, but who is going to be capable of building a perfect team, right? Can you be a team that finds an identity at some point during the season? That the first long stretch with these guys, I I thought I don't know what the hell this is going to be because it was supposed to be that they were more offensive and then no one down the lineup was scoring. It was supposed to be that they were tougher and then Brad Marchand is injuring their defenseman and everyone's just looking and smiling from the bench going, please don't do that again. <laughs> that, would be, yeah. that would be mean if you did it twice. <laughs> right. <laughs> they signed one of the toughest guys in the league who's already off the team, right? <laughs> it's just everything that they yep. were supposed to be wasn't really materializing. And I do feel like the promising part of this weekend is they felt heavier, they felt tougher, and, and multiple ways tougher, by the way. They were down twice, and they came back against Vancouver both times. They fought for each other, and now all of a sudden, a bunch of the guys down the lineup are scoring. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, <clears throat> there's been a lot said about the whole Ryan Reeves thing, and like, all right, his, I don't know, his minus 11 or something like yeah. that. Like, he's not hasn't had a positive contribution. Fine, that's all well and good. But a lot of it has been like, okay, well, who who do they put in there that it's that much different? You know, this whole, Bobby McMahon comes up, and I, I, I feel like people know things about him I don't. Uh, every time I watch him play, here's what I see. He's really fast. Mm-hmm. He's big. And I know from watching elite American League highlights, he shoots it really well. Like some of his goals are just like beating the goalie clean hard shots. So all of a sudden, your fourth line with McMahon instead of Reeves mm-hmm. is a guy, is a line of Gregor who is lightning fast and he is three times in the Leafs jersey shot it past a goalie where you're like, boy, the goalie looked bad there, or is that a great shot? So fast and can shoot it. McMahon is fast and can shoot it, and Camp is a great fourth-line center. So all of a sudden, the fourth line is very good with mm-hmm. replacing one player. So that was really encouraging to me being like, okay, you know, they're not that far off with a little tweak here and a little tweak there. And then the other thing was I didn't realize how much they would miss Jake McCabe. Just having him back to me suddenly made it feel a lot more like, okay, at least you have someone who knows, like, he wants to defend. He cares about it, right? And he likes to hit and all that stuff. So a few little things made a big difference over the weekend. Obviously, they played great, but just a couple of lineup tweaks went a long way. Yeah, see, that that's the way I I feel about it right now. And ask me again in two weeks with this team because it just... It's been such a roller coaster ride of, oh, it's good, it's bad, it's good, it's bad, it's good, it's bad, bad, bad. Um, but I had Myrtle on last week, and we were talking mm-hmm. about the team. And to me, the biggest point of optimism was you could circle two players on the roster, the way Klingberg was playing and the way Reeves was playing, and say, if you just remove those guys and put in replacement-level players, how much better is the team? Mm-hmm. And, and I think with the fourth line, we already have that question answered. You go from a guy who just cannot move, who cannot play, makes a line a complete non-threat where you know they're never going to score and it's just about surviving the five to eight minutes they're going to get a night. But they also had to start them in the ozone. I know, that's it. You were taking away opportunities to score and going to just, again, a, a replacement level player. I don't, I'm sure, you know, I agree with the things that you said about McMahon. I don't know if he's going to be someone that 
listen, he's he goes Patterson. into the Trent Richard. What what's the name of the guy? Trent Patterson. <laughs> yeah, he's sure. a Trent Patterson. Okay, like yeah. he is a guy that five years from now, I would imagine most Leaf fans go, oh right, him. I forgot about yeah. him, but yeah. he's just a replacement level guy. That shows you how bad the Reeves experiment was. And I know that they can bury the the money. I know that eventually it's not going to be that bad because people keep saying it's the worst contract in Leafs history. And I go, you're clearly not a fan of this team. <laughs> you clearly have only <laughs> been here for a very short time. But it is incredible to think that a guy is going to get $4 million for a minus 11 in two fights that he arguably lost both of. I mean, it's it's a shame because, like, I have been okay with the idea that you would have a guy who kind of mm-hmm. treads water or is even a little bit below treading water mm-hmm. as long as it gives them an element they haven't had during the regular season where guys felt defended and whatever. I was totally okay with that. Um, but you just can't be the worst guy in the league. <laughs> you know, like, that's just a bridge too far. And, you know, I, I know Sheldon Keefe was trying to protect him. He made some comments like, you know, I've been through the goals and there's not one where you would hold him like accountable for. Mm-hmm. But I think back to like the play where Matthew Nice chips one to him and he just can't, he's not fast enough to skate onto it. So he never affects the play, but it's cause he's slow, you know? Mm-hmm. So you don't blame him. But anyway, it's, it's a shame that it has worked out so poorly, but it's really tough to see it ever being a success. It just is. It's going to be your worst option. Given the, even a guy like McMahon being around. Dude, I, I actually thought this too. This is a little side tangent we probably don't need considering the other stuff we have to talk about. But it's the $4 million, but I actually felt a little bad for Reeves because he clearly is going to want a media career when this is all said and done. That had to be a part of the deal coming to Toronto. But now it, it will take some recovery time for that in this market. Yeah. No, you're, I, I totally know what you mean. Like you don't, people, if people aren't welcoming you with open arms when they feel like it's had a detrimental effect. I guess there's lots of season left and things could change for him, but tough to see it happening. Yeah. Anyway, uh, classic Toronto, though. They, we find a way. Nylander's having just the best season. Matthews looks incredible. Tavares looks like he hasn't lost a step. And the vast majority of the discourse has been about the fourth line. <laughs> you know, but outside of, like, fawning, yeah. outside of sitting here and being like, how good was that? Know. You know, like it's tough to break down excellence in the way that it's like, okay, how do you patch the holes and make this a cup winner? Yes. Well, the other part of it too, is it makes it feel a little bit more desperate to win, right? Because these guys are clearly entering a different kind of prime window. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. The way I'm looking at this right now is I feel a little sympathetic towards not that it should be overly sympathy to the stars that have been given everything in this market. But I thought what a frustrating time for these guys where they're playing great. They're doing a lot. The rest of the lineup, everyone's talking about them trying to give them credit for whenever they win, going, ah, this is the rest of the formula. But then if the Leafs lose, it'll all be about those four guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no that one is... wants to talk about the excellence because you're right. It's hard to break down. Plus, we've seen it so many times. Yeah. No, it is. It's, they're in a very unique spot with this market where it's tough to, get, uh, tough to get a heap of praise. But you know, I will say this weekend was one of the most surprising weekends for me. Like the Leafs, I've joked to you know, have this reputation for rising the occasion when you expect them to finally be done for. But going into this weekend, I, I really had some concerns. Like that game against Vancouver was such a pleasant surprise mm-hmm. to someone who has to cover them all year because – there's, there was just so many holes going into that game that I thought that maybe this team was a 
you know, a fringe playoff team. And so another good weekend like that, it's like, okay, they're not that, you know, yeah. that's, that was encouraging to see. Yeah. There were definitely signs of, is this team bad? Yeah. That was the talk on our show with McKee. McKee was just like, guys, I'm worried. And it's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I think you might be right to be worried. <laughs> I like how that 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 is genuinely McKee's job. Is I'm really worried. <laughs> That's him. All, yeah. Just him hand wringing, going, "I'm I'm nervous. I'm worried." Yeah, dude, what are you worried about? The Leafs stink. They've been crap your whole life. <laughs> why, are you, why are you worried? You've never seen a winner. Oh no, yeah. things are going to be the same. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> they might only win one playoff series in 20 years. I had Newendike on Friday, and I went, "This is incredible." The biggest goals in my life for him in 2004 and that's the last time they won before last season and and I know we've been had that beaten over our heads over and over and over again but sitting there and talking to him did make it feel different where yeah I was like oh right this guy hasn't been in the league forever (laughs) (laughs) he had the last memories for this team so uh, to kind of close the forward conversation do you think they've found the groups will Sheldon Keefe be able to resist the temptation to put the lines in a blender the second things go south no, see, I, I do think they want Bertuzzi to play with Matthews and, and Marner. Like, I think that's how they see this working out as someone who hunts pucks for them and all that. But nice just makes so much sense from, like, an offensive standpoint. It, to me, it's more they also don't want to put him in a spot where there's a bunch of pressure on him. Like, in huge games, they're going to be rolling out this rookie in those big moments. Like, Bertuzzi's at least kind of been through the league and through playoffs and I don't know. I think eventually they're going to want to see Bertuzzi back there. But yeah, I think we'll have a little run. The one thing I did want to say on the forwards is that everyone right now is like, hey, how about that third line? Looks like they found a third line, Mm -hmm. yada, yada. And they looked fantastic and it's encouraging. And it's nice to see the Leafs get depth scoring. Like they've they've been supposed to have it. They have supposed to have a good third line. I don't know. Don't worry about the English Mm -hmm. for a long time. But this finally, like, seeing them score is good. Now, however, I don't trust that that's a playoff line. Mm. I don't trust that line, you know, Max Domi, Cali Yarncroc. Like, it just it doesn't feel to me like a line you're going to keep together in the playoffs. Mm. I think that's fair, considering Nick Robertson no one thought would be on this team at all this season, that he would yeah. get a small tryout, disappoint, go back to the AHL and then likely be moved in an underwhelming trade package or as a throw in on something bigger. And now it's four games of awesome, but yeah, it's fine to question whether or not that's going to be sustainable. But is that the biggest part of that line that you don't trust? Or is it the Domi down the middle piece? Because yarn crock, I think is just, yeah, he's the, he's a Swiss army knife at this point that you can basically trust anywhere in your lineup. Yes. But Domi at center is something that like, it's tough to see lasting. I just think he's a poor defensive player and I don't love having my third line center that can't defend. And then Robertson. Yeah. I really, this guy's a unbelievable score. I, I really think he's just got such a knack for it and a sense for offense and a great shot. But yeah, Domi plus him in playoffs and pitching him against Tampa Bay and pitching them against Florida. You know, it's, it's tough. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, Yarncroc was not impactful in the playoffs at all. So mm-hmm. just tough to see that sticking. Yeah, what, what I will say, though, about them, even if it isn't a playoff line, they kind of just needed them right now. Agreed. That's well said. Like, the timing's perfect for yeah. this line. They, they just desperately needed some other group to do something exciting. Have life. Yeah. And they have, they've been better than just okay. Robertson has had real job. I thought he was the Leafs' best player Friday. Like, I genuinely he, did. 
I think I tweeted before playoffs, put 89 out. Like he was every time he was out there, he was impactful and moving yeah. at the pace of play. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. He was awesome. And then Domi just feels like he's been reinvigorated playing center that yeah. he's actually he's engaged. Yeah. He's found something. He looked lost through the first four or five games of the year. He had that, those two beautiful passes to Nyes that Nyes finished. And then after that, it got him some grace period, but it was starting to yeah. get back to the point of, Hey, what, what, what is it you say you do here? <laughs> and, <laughs> and he finally found something. So, I'm good even if that line is just a stopgap to something else, right? Buys them time to figure out what exactly they need. Or if every other game they score you a goal, you'll love them. Right. That's it. It's just it's it's fine. It it right now this is what they need. And even when we had the topic before the season of hey, is this team better? I really did think that they were going to be a better regular season team. I, I just thought mm-hmm. that they were going to be able to score more, that it was going to fit their group, that they were going to stay engaged with everybody chasing the points, right? And how, how many mercenaries this team has. Yeah, and, but you thought Bertuzzi was going to be good. Right. Well, I have liked Bertuzzi the last couple of games, I will yes, say. Yes, I have too. And, I have too. And kind of to your point about Nyes and the no pressure thing, my, my pushback would be I haven't seen the pressure part with him at all. No, he seems unfazed. You're so right. That's it. I don't see a guy that looks nervous in times. And if you're talking about the dude who's just supposed to chase down pucks, who on this team, other than Matthews, has looked more dangerous when he's on someone's back this season for the Leafs than Matthew Nice? No, good point. It's him. Yeah. So uh, for me right now, I'm letting that go. And I'm saying too, hey, Bertuzzi, it's not like you're playing with a bunch of nobodies, right? No. You're you're playing with one of the best 10 forwards in the NHL right now and William Nylander and Tavares who has, I would say if we're looking at underrated stories of the season, and I guess I shouldn't have expected a big fall off with him, right? It's not as though he was just some athletic phenom that relied purely on the skating, but it's just how good he has looked. We've had two years where people have gone, Tavares needs to get kicked out to the wing. Tavares needs to get kicked out of the wing. Could you imagine this team if they actually had to kick Tavares out to the wing? Yeah, no, it's essential that he be the player he is. It's the money he's making. And mm-hmm. honestly, it's it, he, we may finish this John Tavares contract, step back and go, holy, that mm-hmm. was a really good seven years. And yeah. the whole time, everyone was just going, get this guy out of here. I don't know, yeah. you know? Well, especially since they might inherit a cheaper version of Tavares at the end of the contract, right? What do you think is likely? He leaves and chases money somewhere or he re-signs in Toronto for less money? I feel like it's the latter. So there there might Mm. be a little bit of a long-term play here where in a season and a half from now, we look at this and go, damn, that was pretty good that they turned Tavares into the new Mark Giordano or the new Jason Spezza where it's the the good vet on the cheap contract. Um, Mm. By the way, that's... That's still a concerning thing to me a little bit is they, this team has just always relied on the old guy to be the heartbeat of the team. It used to be Spezza. Now it's Giordano, right? And it was that way again Saturday where it was the old guy that had to fire everybody up again. And I went, this is great. I love Giordano, but I, I would like to see this from somebody else. Uh, Way to go though, Gio. I mean, that's a big boy. Yeah, he went in there with, and oh, he threw. <laughs> he yes. was throwing. Yeah, he stood re- in there. No, but those were reckless punches to the point <laughs> where, if the guy he's fighting is calm about it and really knows what he's doing, he could have landed one on the button. Where we go? Why did you do that? <laughs> why did yeah. you? Why did you do that fight? Okay. Um, what would you give up for Zadorov? Should the Leafs be making a move like this today? Well, I think that depends on what, you know, like uh, on the ability to extend him. Like you, if you know, you're going to have him for a while. Um, I I also think Zadorov is a guy that 
if he's on your team long enough, you'll go, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. That's why this six foot seven, two, you know, fourteen goal scoring defenseman isn't beloved everywhere. Like, there's going to be some warts. However, I really would be excited about the Leafs having something that is so different to them. A guy who can hit and score that plays defense with an attitude. Mm-hmm. Like, what a concept. So there's going to be some mistakes along the way. I love it for the Leafs. So, you know, I, I don't know. You know, you start talking about these your prospects. You even talk with Kip, and it's like, he brought up Minton and Cowan. I was like, okay, it's not Cowan. So mm-hmm. is Minton on the table for Zadorov plus? Like, can Calgary sweeten that pot significantly with another defenseman? Or Vladar? Uh, you know, do you like Vladar much more than you like Samsonov? I don't know. So, no, no I don't either, um, for the record. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's interesting to see what else they would have to do to make it work for a big piece like Minton. My only thing is, if you're the Leafs and you make that trade, you actually have to do it for what eighty cents on the dollar to Calgary. You cannot be doing a hundred. Uh, you can't be doing full price for full price because it's just so early in the season. I, I feel mm-hmm. I, I'm a little torn on this. I really like Zadorov. He's the defenseman on that team that I would most like for the reasons that you outlined, which is just bringing the team more of the things they don't have. Right? Yeah. Some size, some nastiness. They don't get any goal scoring from their blue line, None. and so that would be a nice addition for them. But I would be a little nervous, even in a year where everyone's going to be around the playoffs and it's probably going to be another buyer's market, that some other names come up and you look at it and say, damn, you made the move too early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that is a real concern. Uh, it's, it's a really tough situation. I think it felt really desperate last week when the Leafs were 6-5 and five mm-hmm. and Lilligren's hurt and McCabe was out and Klingberg looked you know, unfixable, it really felt like if you don't do this now, you know, it, it may come down to not making playoffs or making playoffs. How early you make a decision like this. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, winning buys you time to further assess what you have. And I think that's one of the, the great advantages of, you know, the least gain from having some success last weekend. It's just, okay, let's take another look at this. We don't, we're not in full panic mode. Winning helps you make better decisions in the long term. The, the, the immediate, Part of this where I go, no, just do it now is you need to improve your penalty kill immediately. And the mm-hmm. clear number one spot is they, they need another defenseman to play on that unit because the, the personnel, like I asked Jason Bukula last week, hey, do they have anybody internally where you believe this is going to get better? And he just flat out went no. <laughs> so, oh, OK, yeah, that that's where you start to look externally um, before you go. Last thing. Mm-hmm. So they're heading on this break. And it's nice because they've got this momentum and they've won some games and they're probably feeling way better about themselves. They had a game where they had some fights and they won on a Saturday night. They probably went out as a team and had a bunch of drinks and now they get to fly to Sweden and a bunch of guys on the team get to show off Sweden to Leafs. The the mood is good with the team, but it Mm -hmm. is a little bit of a break here where they're only playing two games in 12. What do you think the the story of the season has been for you so far? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I think the new additions, you yeah. know, the, the, the new additions being not what the Leafs had hoped. Uh, obviously, this story is very different today than it was on Friday at noon. You know, like it felt like they, none of them were working and it was tough to see any of them sticking throughout the whole season. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, okay, Bertuzzi looked better. Domi's chipping in here and there. Klingberg had a good ho- hockey game, like mm-hmm. a fine hockey game. So, to me, it was the new guys, but I think they're they're looking better than I thought. 
I don't know. Like I said, very recently. Yeah, recently, yes. Before that, no. Congrats to Ryan Reeves on four million dollars. Uh, <laughs> just incredible stuff. This pro sports, it's awesome for that. Uh, I know you got to run. I'll let you go. Thanks for doing this, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Sal. Sounds good. Have a good buddy. There you go. It's Justin Bourne, Real Cup from Bourne, Leafs Regional Games. For me, the story of the season is Nylander. And it seems simple. Hey, of course, Nylander, he's been great. Well, has he been the team's best player? No, he's been their second best player. A lot of nights he's been their best. Matthews is still their best guy. But the consistency that he's playing with in the regular season so far has been phenomenal. We, have, we, we barely even talk about the contract because people are so happy with the way that he's playing that he's essentially going to be able to give them a blank check and go, pay me this, and the Leafs are just going to have to do it. Yeah. They, they don't have another option. This is the best scenario he could have personally had, but I think for the Leafs too. The fear, I'm guessing, for some is that once he does get paid, will that change his mentality in any way? Will that cause him to not bring the same level of enthusiasm, attention to detail, and care that we've seen with his game so far. But I, I genuinely believe this is a player who's taken a, a, a meaningful step forward, that we've seen him play great in the playoffs before, but that this is even better than who he was last postseason. He's gotten stronger. feel like he's gotten even better on his skates, which is hard to believe. His goal-scoring touch has improved season over season, but now the confidence that he's shooting the puck with and that he plays with the puck, there's just so few players that are able to just do what Nylander does with the calmness and the poise. It's very, very rare. Someone who's not afraid to take it out of his own zone, knowing that he can just bring it right back in. The finishes that he's had this year where it's just there's no rush, there's no panic, there's nothing. What he does for the dynamic of this team, just really believing that, hey, do you have a second line that is going to be able to carry you come postseason time? Are you going to have another player? Are you going to have two lines that really feel like they can have the force of what Toronto's does right now when they're at their best? I do have a different level of confidence in him. And so, yeah, the, the contract stuff will come up later in the season. It'll be annoying when it does because you still wish that there was one player here that was willing to show that they want to be here and that they want to win here and that they're willing to take some type of a, a discount in order to do that. I don't think he's going to be the guy that ends up doing it. Maybe it'll be Marner. I doubt that too. Maybe Marner gets involved in a trade at some point for this team to figure out how they're going to progress moving forward if it doesn't work out after this season. But he's just been incredible. And, and night in, night out, Bourne was saying, it's, it's hard to talk about excellence sometimes. That's the way I feel about Nylander because, and, and for the right reasons, it's just repetitive. He has been so good every single night that it's hard to give him the proper credit because you're just going to repeat all the exact same yeah. things over and over because he's just replicating it every single night. He's been unbelievable. So yeah, that's it to me, but I do think that the, the new guys are right there with them. And then you're really hoping, you're really hoping that the blue line levels out because I think that their lack of fit, their lack of depth is probably story number three. Anyway, let's take a quick break. I'll do it. I'll talk about how awful Saturday was at BMO. I think I had to say to you guys four times, please let me just talk about it on the show. That everyone wants to talk <laughs> to me about the Argos. Armin texted me while I was there. Who went, what's the vibes down at BMO, fam? <laughs> 
And I looked at my phone angrily. Yeah. I'm going to guess low. Of yeah. course, I wasn't there, but I'm going to guess they weren't great. No, it was real bad. <laughs> and, and this is, by the way, this is the most painful part in all of this is I told everyone all year long, go down to these games. Yeah. Go watch the Argos. I'm telling you that the product is different. The product is better. This is a really solid, solid way to spend some, some money. You will not regret it. You will not regret going to an Argos game, buying a cheap ticket. You could sit in the 100s all year long for 33 bucks. $33 to sit 100 level in nice seats at my favorite venue in the city yeah. on beautiful summer nights, and you would watch Chad Kelly fling the ball around the yard like he was way too good for the league. And your advice rang true for a long time. Yeah, it was. And then here <laughs> we were. there's no BMO until 2026 World Cup. No, see, that's what I hate. That's the, that's the thing that drives me crazy is there's clear. Okay. There's, there's two things. There's two parts of this. One is that I'm disappointed that the team was so disappointing and that that's the look casuals got because they, they put 26,000, maybe even more than that. It was packed. Yeah. That, that place was ready to have an awesome time. That place was so ready to just get a little boozy on a Saturday afternoon the weather wasn't that bad. It was just perfect kind of cold weather game where it, there's, the air is crisp and you got to kind of sit tight with your buddies at the game and you want to have a coffee, and a, but you could still drink beers and not feel like they're freezing your hand to death. There wasn't a wind chill where you're just sitting there miserable and people are packing into the concourse because the concourse there is just not big enough for when they have uh, a capacity like that. It just gets nightmarish when you get halftime. The bath, they got to figure something out. They got to bring like porta potties in. I don't know, but it's just awful. It's not a good venue for when it's packed in the concourse area. Other than that, it was awesome. I could feel it leading up to the game. There was people that were, you know, drinking at the tailgate. There were tons of people wearing the double blue stuff. You could tell that they had the city's attention for just a, a real moment. And what I hate is those casuals that showed up go, this is it, this is yeah. wh whatever, who cares? You know, I have zero investment with the team. They suck. Kelly had all the turnovers. Who really cares? Oh, this is why I don't like the Argos. This is why I don't watch the CFL, blah, 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 blah. You get those, I, those people, they're the half I told you so's, half the I would only want to go to an event, but you brought me there. But there was just a real potential to capture those people with what was there all season long that was really there for people to go, damn, they won back-to-back Grey Cups. I'm going to show up at the home opener next year. It's not – when I say these things, I want people to understand that it's not – I thought that the Argos were going to be the third, fourth team in the city now, right? That they were going to all of a sudden be on the same level as the Raptors. No, this is not what I'm talking about. For them, incremental gains are big. This is not a CFL town. It's not. The fan base is as diehard for the Argos as any here. They, they truly are. There is a diehard group of fans that show up for that team every single week that are awesome. Truly. They deserve better because they actually give a real damn about this team. And they show up and they take a beating from all other CFL fans when it comes to them being casuals, blah, blah, blah. But this is a city that wants an event, that wants a winner, that wants a reason to show up for one of these things. And the Argos gave them nothing they gave them about as bad of a performance as you could possibly get where you saw none of the special none of the specialness that chad kelly had all season long just awful turnovers awful offense nothing there was really one moment in the game but it was to make them down still two scores in the fourth quarter 
and they desperately needed to stop in a defense that was brilliant all game long that also deserved way better. They finally just gave out. They finally gave out after being on the field all game long. And the CFL is a tough watch when your offense is not going like that, where it's two and out, two and out, two and out, because it's just, you, you feel you feel like you're not having fun, period. You, you need your offense to put together some drives. You need your offense to score some points. Otherwise, the two and out thing feels awful. It feels miserable. So th- that faction of people, I feel sad that they aren't going to be captured by this. I feel bad for the Argonauts that they missed that opportunity. That part stings for sure. But the part that pissed me off the most and the part that I saw so much of my mentions and th- that Armin just tried to do is there's such a large faction of Toronto fans that think that they're too cool for the CFL. And it is the dumbest thing. I'm, je- I'm serious. This is, people want to say that Raptors fans who cry about the refs every single night are the dumbest things. Or Leaf fans who cry about the refs every single night are the dumbest things. Because <laughs> it's really the two. Blue Jays fans who say fire the manager after every single loss, right? There's those are like the three pockets of the dumbest, worst things that those fan bases do, right? Unless you go even the step further, which is the Raptors fans that truly believe that the the league doesn't want the Raptors to succeed because they're in Canada, right? Well, I didn't get a Christmas game again. It's like, okay, oh, come on, God. right? There's some things that this fan base does where there's a lot, there's a lot of just bad takes around that particular thing. But to me, the, the peak, the very top of the mountain is people going, the CFL is a second-rate league. It's so dumb. This is an NFL town. We deserve an NFL franchise. We should be getting an NFL team because the NFL is the league. Blah, blah, blah. They're different leagues. It's just like if a soccer fan was going, we should get a Premier League team. We should be getting a better league. No, the CFL is a perfectly fine league. Do I wish there were more teams? Of course. Why wouldn't you? It's stupid that a team can win enough games that they end up in a finals, in a conference finals, and have it clinched two months before the season is over. That's a pretty big drawback. Are there things about the CFL that sometimes feel a little Mickey Mouse? Duh. Of course. Of course it's going to feel that way sometimes. Hey, this might be a newsflash for some of you that live in the city, but uh, because Toronto is big and people love going, oh, it's one of the biggest cities in North America. Yeah, the rest of the country is pretty small, okay? There's not a lot of people in this country. We're a small country and we have a football league. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to have more sports. I've never understood the whole, well, we shouldn't even have this thing anyways. Get us the NFL franchise. (sighs) First of all, we don't deserve an NFL team. Flat out. We just don't. There's a team in Buffalo. There's a team in Detroit. There's teams that are around us geographically. We've had opportunities with some of these Canada games. They've been poorly run, obviously. But there's not a desperate need for a Canadian football team here. Where are they going to play? Where where are they going to play? You want to build a stadium? You want your tax dollars to be going into a new football stadium? Traffic in the city is bad enough. You want that? Just drive to Buffalo. Go to Detroit. There's plenty of options for you to enjoy the NFL. We really do not need an NFL team here. Would I welcome it if it happened? Sure, of course. Would I get behind them? Would I be going to the games? I'd be going more than most of you. But the idea that we need one or that we deserve one is outlandish. And the way that people talk about it as though it's like some kind of half reality is truly, truly, truly insane stuff. But the Argonauts are fine. It is a good live product. It's not going to live up to TV. If you watch it on television, you watch it and you compare it to the NFL, it's not going to match up. It's not a television product in this city. It's just not, unless it's a huge game like that one. But the people who just love, they love, they sit there and the Argos lose and they go, I knew it. No one even cared. No one even watched the game. No one even, yes, people watched the game. People did care. 
There are people that care and there are people that watch the game. And I do not understand why there is such a large group of people in the city that are just so desperate to punch down at this league. I just, I don't, I don't get it. It's so lame. It's the lamest thing. You listening to this right now that do it, you're lame. You are so painfully lame, including you, Armin. <laughs> I'm trying to do it. I know, I'm just teasing you, but yeah, because you're just trying to get at me with it. But it's true. Go look at my Twitter mentions. Go look at how many people are like, yeah, CFL sucks anyway. We don't care about CFL. Get rid of the CFL. I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. I, I do not understand. We don't do this with other teams. We just do this with the Argos. It's, I, I think what it really is, is, okay, you ever have a... You ever have a friend, a guy or a girl, that treats their significant other poorly because they, you can tell they think they're too good for this partner? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone can think of that person, right? And it's just cringy when you're around them yeah. because you're listening to the one take shots and they're too real. It's not fun banter. Yeah, yeah. It's like the de- it cuts a little too deep. Yeah. And All the, of a sudden, the, the chat's a little weird. Yeah. And they're sitting around. They start taking shots at one another and you go, yuck, this is why I don't like to hang out with you guys. That's all of you that do that with the CFL. It's an inferiority complex that you have. And you're afraid to just be a part of Canada because you are Toronto. And you go, we don't, we, we want to be Americans though. We, oh, we don't want to be here. We don't want to, we want American stuff only. We don't want the Canadian stuff. And so you tease and you take these shots, but they're not funny. They're cringy and they're annoying as hell to be around flat out. So am I disappointed in the Argos? Yes, I'm crushed. It sucks. I really liked this team. I really enjoyed them. I went to many games this year. I went with a bunch of friends. Every single night was a blast. The exhibition game, the Friday night, being able to go watch the Argos win a game and then hit the casino right outside after was truly great times. (laughs) Mixing all my favorite things, Bud Lights, friendship, and a tent with a casino in it where I could make bad calls at a poker table was flawless. The dream. Dream. A dream of all dreams. Came to a disappointing close. Really wish that... Would have been able to go to the Grey Cup, especially since it's up against a Sunday night game next week. That's, yeah, everyone loves, the NFL is so great. The NFL is so great. What, what, you're all thinking it's so great watching these primetime games? Everyone's thinking, wow, the NFL, what an amazing league with Zach Wilson yeah, and Jets Raiders is Aiden pretty Connolly or whatever. I can't even remember his name. I watched the whole game. I can't even remember Aiden Connell, Connolly. I don't know if it's one or the other. I watched the entire game. That's great. Waking up early, watching Mac Jones and Gardner Minshew. That's so great. Rather than just being able to go down to a stadium that can fit 26th out, that's right on the lake with a beautiful view with a ton of banners hanging, with the wind blowing out, having delicious, delicious beers, watching a high caliber team. That's better. Okay, whatever. I'm just tired of it. It's annoying. Anyway, but it's disappointing. That was as big of a choke job from a team now to actually criticize the team and not the annoying fans. That was a huge choke job. Chad Kelly said it was a nightmare. He put the blame all on him. And I went, uh, yeah, Chad. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty obvious that it was all on you. You threw two pick sixes and another interception that turned into six. <laughs> like, I think, I think he fumbled as well. Yeah. It, he fumbled in a massive spot, a massive spot where the defense gets a turnover. They're feeling a little bit of momentum. He can take it into the half, score some points. And he just, he puts the ball on the ground. It was, you, you see this in sports. You see this, especially in the NFL where there's a quarterback that's just pressing, that's trying to do way too much. Yeah. And that was him all game long. They march down the field to start the game. It's easy. It's just, we'll let 
tons of running room. Kelly, diamond it, easy. He throws one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen live in a game. I was on that side of the field. I could see the route the entire way that he was throwing to. And I went, there's no way that he's throwing. Oh, he's throwing it in the flat. Okay, he's gone. The DB on Montreal waved right in front of our faces, (laughs) right in front of our faces for where we were sitting. And I went, enjoy it now, buddy. Enjoy that now because what's about to be coming to you is a beat down the other way. They're going to embarrass you for this. No, that was it. That was the game. He threw that interception and he never recovered from it. He was never able to just put the play away. And the rest of the game, it was just force, 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 force. I thought that there was some bad play calling, especially on the sneaks. I get that it's a sneak league, but some of them were just awful. And, you know, you run into a wall a couple of times, try something different. You've got AJ Ouellette. You've got the, it's the MOP. I always do MVP because everyone understands it, but you've got the MOP. Maybe be a little bit more creative in your play designs. Maybe be a little bit more aggressive than the Hamilton Tiger Cats would be in the same situation. But yeah, this, this game is really mostly on Chad Kelly, flat out. It it was, it was, the defense was phenomenal. They played out of their minds. They were getting so much pressure on the Owls QB sack after sack after sack, just holding them in the game, keeping them in the game. And all the Argos needed to do was get some decent field position, at least sustain a couple of drives, try to find ways to chip away and get some points, take what the defense was giving you. And instead it was these plays that you hadn't seen from Kelly essentially the entire season. The one interception that he threw that was not the pick six, but the one that turned into a touchdown because the pick six was bad too. But I think it was the second interception of the game where he's just going to his left and then throws across his body into the middle of the field. The game wasn't over yet. That's the kind of play you make when it's the fourth like quarter. Desperation time. Yeah, it's the fourth quarter. It's the final drive of the game. And if you take a sack or you have an incomplete pass, the game is over. So... Just crushing stuff. Do I think the Argos will come back next year and be a very strong team again? I absolutely do. I think that they will be in a very similar position. Maybe they're not 16-2. and Maybe it's not as dominant as it was this season. But it's going to be in the ballpark. They're going to be damn good. Kelly is going to show up, and he's going to be nasty again. And the Argos will probably clinch another East final too early and be waiting for their opponent. We'll be going back to this game. I just will... I, I really hope that if you, if you gave that a shot, if you were willing to go down and you were willing to try it, and you can ignore the noise of the peer pressure of the lame in your group that goes, oh, you like to see a fall? If you can avoid that, I promise you, you take in a summer game, you will enjoy it, you will have a blast, and if you reinvest in going back to the East Final next year, should they be there, which I think they will, they're going to come up with a better performance. Should, should be that it just creates more anticipation for next year in some ways. I get that it is really deflating, and that they, they as a group, they as an organization, they as just a business have got to be just crushed. A Grey Cup on a Sunday against a nothing burger NFL game with Green Day playing at halftime with that kind of proximity to the city would have been awesome. And they missed that opportunity as golden. You don't get too many of those when you're the Argonauts. So it's a crusher, but I'll be back for the home opener next year. I will be back. Yeah, you will. Oh, yeah. I'm, Twist to the knife, seeing Joe Burrow walk in with an Alouette's jersey on the, on the no, Sunday. No, I actually respected it. Yeah. I really did. I really respected it. Yeah. My question would have been, though, would you have worn that if you lost? Absolutely not. Front I don't boat? think so. Yeah. Because yeah. it would have been cool to shout out the Owls and your dad, even if they had lost. Sure. Going, hey. Your good times and bad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Someone should have gone, name a player, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Someone should have hit him with that in the tunnel.
Oh, yeah, Joe, you're such a hardcore. Say one guy on the team, man. Anyway, let's take a break and let's talk about the NFL, Brady Quinn. I'm really glad that this show isn't on TV <laughs> or live streamed on YouTube so that people could see what I just did. It's nice. Hey, you played it's nice cool. I got to tell you, I never, I, uh, I'm so glad that the show, I, I don't want to give anybody any ideas, but I'm so glad that the show is on TV. Oh, I think about that all the time. <laughs> Thank God. It's so much more relaxing being able to do it this way, where it's just the fellas in the room talking around the table in the other studio. My favorite. Anyways, my, what was not my favorite was losing another Coward's Parlay, just crushing the site. Mm-hmm. I just want to, I just want, here's the thing. The, the keys to my happiness, they're not, it's not that complex. It really is not. Coward's Parlay is the most important thing in the game. <laughs> <laughs> number one. For it's the so important. I don't care if my fantasy team wins. I lost. My buddy texted me about beating me, and I went, I don't care. I don't, I don't care. My, by the way, this is, this is the worst, fan, this is the worst like, gambling season for football and the worst fantasy seasons that I've ever had. Like both. No. Oh, yeah, combining oh. into one. Why well, Nick Chubb? Yeah, it was okay. week one. My two yeah. running backs, Nick Chubb and Aaron Jones, and it was just uh, immediately both guys got hurt. Anyways, yeah. you know what was nice this weekend, though? Offense. Sure. Actually seeing offense. I was blown away. I thought that they weren't allowed to score points in the NFL anymore. Brady <laughs> Quinn, Monday morning insider and former NFL QB. How nice was that, seeing points? In some games. I mean, I, unfortunately, we, we finished uh, we finished last night's Sunday Night Football where well, yeah. points came a little bit scarce. But, yeah, yeah you get okay. the Chargers, Lions going back and forth. That was yeah. fun. That was fun. Yeah. The other games kind of come to mind. I, I got to say one thing. This is my only Jets take. I don't want to end Raiders because there's really nothing to say. I don't, I don't really care about the game. It is what it is uh, other than, I guess, the Rodgers thing maybe. But I feel genuinely bad for Zach Wilson. Like, he's just getting thumped the entire broadcast. Collinsworth is just going, same old, same old. I was like, damn, he's up just a little. But when you look at his boyish face, his cute little Disney prince face, whenever he makes a mistake, you can just tell he's entering New York hell, that his teammates obviously don't love him, and the media is going to crush him to the point where when his coach goes on shows, they're just going to ask why he's playing any of these football games. Everyone's dying for Rodgers to get back in there. I can't remember a time I felt as sorry for a quarterback. And it's one of the reasons why, and I keep going back to this, I never thought it made any sense to keep him with Rodgers. The, the entire idea, the entire idea that they were going to have him be groomed by Rodgers and, and he was – like, there's no long-term plan there. Like, Rodgers is your guy. He's going to be there for two years, maybe three. And at that point in time, you'd have to either extend Wilson and, and who knows what he'd want at that point and want to do. It just it never made any sense. And they probably lost any sort of trade value they could have gotten with him being under contract on his rookie deal. Mm-hmm. That's all out the window now too. And I feel like they've, you know, if, if they didn't do right by Zach Wilson initially with, with how things were and they kind of thrusted him into the action before he was ready. And I never thought he was going to be ready right away. In my opinion, now they've gotten to a point where like they've just completely devalued him. But the tough part is, is he is playing better for him. Like if you go back through what it looked like the previous two years, yep. <clears throat> different story, like this is much better for him. The problem is, they have to play such a specific style of playing game in order to win that it's just it's hard to do that in the NFL on a consistent basis. The one positive spin I would say to Jets fans is 
it takes pressure off this thing Aaron Rodgers keeps doing, which is saying that he's coming back in mid-December, which, all right, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what he's trying to prove or what this is supposed to all be about because he tore his Achilles. And, yeah, the last guy I remember thinking would come back from this and end up being fine was Kobe Bryant, and he was not fine. It would ended his career. Um, yeah, I, I guess, what do you make of this? Because I, the, them losing these games, it does take him out of the equation. I can't imagine the Jets are going to throw him in there if they're three games below 500 when he says he's ready. But have you heard anything about this injury like, or, or what has happened with this thing? You're, you're connected. I just I don't understand that everybody, uh, our, my whole life has been Achilles is more than a year injury. And this guy's trying to turn it around in a matter of half, like not even a full half year. Yeah, so my, my wife actually was an Olympic gymnast. She was in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. She suffered a torn Achilles in World Championships the year before the 2012 Olympics. So, you know, she was over in Japan at the time, um, had to fly her back. She went to see Robert Anderson, who's mm-hmm. one of the most respected in the States. And in the time frame for her to get back to have a shot at making the 2012 team in Olympic trials – uh, was I think six months and, and she was able to come back in that time in order to do beam and, and vault. She didn't do floor, which might've been too much at that point. Uh, and granted a much smaller athlete, but still pretty dynamic and powerful as far as the movement. So, you know, a, a quicker time frame than that. And we've seen other players really push that envelope. It's really, really tough to think that you're not putting yourself at risk. And I know he had the speed bridge surgery and people are like, oh, it's this new innovation. That's been around for 10 or 12 years. Like, it's not like that's any new type of surgery to expedite the healing process. Mm -hmm. So um, to your point, even if he is ready, feels ready, I just don't see the risk in putting him out there and then giving it more time, Uh, especially considering he's at the end of his career and he's only got however many more good years, more plays in him. Why put that at risk, especially behind that offensive line that's largely struggled? So um, I, I, I know maybe he wants to prove a lot of doubters and people wrong, and that's you know his own prerogative if he wants to do that. I just I don't see the value in it no. for the Jets or for him moving forward. Yeah, you just hope that there's going to be people within the building that actually have the power to tell him that he can't play. Right. Like, I don't, I don't know if that's certainty. <laughs> when he went there, the way that he called a shot and the way that he... I like. I thought he was maybe the offensive coordinator last night. It was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, is he? Well, is he calling the plays? I, I, I think I was. I'm pretty sure he wasn't. When there were a few yeah. calls, it looked like they went to him and shaking it off. Yeah, kind of not happy I, about it. I know. I like that. There was the one third down run where he was just vehemently, yeah. or he was like visibly displeased. And I went, I'm sure that's nice for Hackett. <laughs> this, this is your guy yeah. that's stumped yeah. for you, and then you're just making a big show of his play calling on the sideline. Um, okay, so to the game that had the offense because. It is the, the, the one that you, you reference off the top. So Lions fans deserve credit, and the Lions deserve a ton of credit for the way that their offense played. Goff was great. You know, you and I are both big fans of the way that he's played so far this season. Uh, Mont St. Brown just – I don't want to say he's underrated. I will say I'm overhearing the story of him knowing all the receivers that were taken ahead of him in the draft. We know that now. Right, that right. My mom knows yeah. that now, okay? She's, I'm like, Mont St. Brown? She's like, yeah, he knows all the receivers that were taken ahead of him in the draft. I'm like, yes, that's the guy. We don't need that story anymore. Ben Johnson, incredible. but and, and Dan Campbell, Stones, gutsy team, gutsy win, all those things, great. But my biggest takeaway from this game was that's as good as I have seen a quarterback play in Justin Herbert, minus the pick at the beginning. From that point forward, that's as good as I think you can play the position, and his team still lost with a coach that's supposed to be a defensive head coach. 
I, I, this this to me felt like the the rubber meets the road game for the Chargers and their decision moving forward. How did it feel to you? Uh, a, a little bit in the sense of, you know, clearly they're just not getting the outcome that they're looking for. And I think more than anything else, what you touched on is he's a defensive-minded head coach, and, and yet the defense – just even with the personnel they have, by the way, like most D coordinators would die for the personnel they have. And Ben Johnson just <laughs> schemed them up. I mean, guys running wide open. And it seemed like when Detroit needed to make a play, they, they made a play. And, and to me, that roster is too good uh, for, for them to be suffering the outcomes they are and really give up the amount of points that they are. And so it, it feels like we're just kind of slowly walking towards that decision. And, and maybe it's the ownership there, not having the guy in mind that they'd like to be able to bring in and hire. Usually, look, I know they go through a formal search and we go through Mm -hmm. the hoops and all that. Anyone who owns a billion-dollar company, when they fire someone who's, you know, in a top leadership position like a head coach, for example, they have an idea of who they want. You know, so they'll go through the process of it, but they've got someone in mind. In this case, I'm I'm really curious as to who that is um, because, look, if this team has to be a team that wins – scoring 38 or close to 40 points a game, if that's how it's going to be, you'd think they're going to go to the offensive side of the ball mm-hmm. uh, and go that route. And I'm sure there's going to be plenty of takers looking at Justin Herbert and saying, that's a quarterback I'd love to coach. But the reality is, at the end of the day, it's not going to matter if they can't fix the defense. And and the only reason I feel like they've – I don't understand they're kicking the can down the road, but you know, it wasn't like Brandon Staley necessarily made any glaringly – you know, tough decisions that came back to bite him. Like, in, in fact, it was actually Dan Campbell who who took advantage of going for fourth downs, ended up converting, like finding ways to, to win in that manner. Um, and, and, and he was the one that took all the risks that paid off for them. So mm-hmm. that's the only reason why I think this thing continues on a little longer. You know, if you had made the type of coaching decisions that like Bill Belichick made yesterday without having the equity build up with what he's accomplished – I think then it would have been a wrap. It would have been a done deal. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Well, the the reason why I brought it up too is, okay, so if they're going to go offensive, you figure maybe they just promote Kellen Moore and they say, we're going to do this thing, especially if Herbert takes a big leap forward this season or he continues to play that way. But I couldn't help but feel like if you were the Chargers and you saw the game plan Ben Johnson put together, that this is just your, this is your off season. You go, we're doing whatever it takes to get this guy in our building. That would be definitely one of the routes I'd go. I mean, I, I've, I've spent some time around Ben Johnson back in 2014 when he was helping out with the quarterbacks in Miami, mm. and he came away as one of the brightest people I'd been around. And you knew he had a, had a bright future. It was just a matter of if, when, and what that track looked like. But yeah, I, I've, I've respected him for the way he game plans and actually then calls plays in games. You know, a lot of guys can game plan, put together a good script, mm. but then in game they don't know how to call it and how to time things up. Like he is able to, to me, at least put his – players in a position to succeed week in and week out as good, if not better than, than most play callers in the NFL. So, you know, again, it, it, it's an easy decision to go, let's go pick the top play caller and then see how it works. But you've got to have that strong defensive coordinator, defensive mind on the other side that can maximize that group because ultimately playing the AFC West against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs, mm-hmm. that's what's probably going to end up winning you to the division or, or giving you at least a shot at going to go in the playoffs and trying to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I just I I'm with you though. Where I still don't understand how they have all that talent on the defensive side, the 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 draft capital that they've invested there, and it's just that it's just you know you easily get gouged. So all the credit to the Lions, and they finally start using Gibbs uh, the the way that we all kind of expected them to. 
when he gets drafted. They were gouging them just every single way. But yeah, I did, I did want to see a little bit more from those guys. Okay, so I didn't get to do this with you last week, so I'm putting it higher on the chart this week. How impressive is it to you to see what Josh Dobbs is doing with the Vikings to start? It's the best story in the NFL. Hell and by yes. the way, if he doesn't win comeback player of the year, oh, yeah, yeah. it is a travesty. Like, I, look, I'm not taking away, I'm not taking anything away from DeMar Hamlin yeah. and, and that tragic situation that played out. Okay. Mm-hmm. But let's be real. This is a quarterback who has been on three teams since the start of the season. He's going to have wins with, with next now got wins with two separate ones. He's keeping Minnesota afloat and it's not like he's just managing it. Like he's making plays with his legs and his arm and it's remarkable. And, it, and it's not like, again, there's really much crossover between what Kevin O'Connell is doing and what they're asked, what he was asked to do in Arizona and what Kevin Stefanski was doing in Cleveland. Like there's a lot of differences between those systems. And it is one of the craziest things I've seen. And it, he deserves a ton of credit for the leader. He is the player, how smart he is. I just, I think he should hands down be the NFL comeback player of the year. And I get a little bit concerned because I think we allow the people on the outside of the football world to sometimes influence like awards like this. And it's just, it would be the, it would be an absolute travesty if he doesn't win it, especially if they make the playoffs. Like I would go play a bet on him right now. I think his odds were four to one. Last time I looked, like, that is ridiculous value for a guy who should be a shoo-in. Well, yeah, you look at their schedule now, too. They got Broncos, Bears, and Raiders as their next three. I, I, I feel like they're, they should be favored to make the playoffs at this point. It, it would be hard for me to imagine them blowing any of those games. Uh, they should, yeah, they should, well, they should beat all them. Maybe Denver on the road is the toughest one. But, yeah, this team should be a playoff team. And I, I just love, I love everything about Dobbs. Um, but my favorite is just, he's a guy that just, he's a winner. He's a gamer. He just finds a way to make plays happen. Well, and think about that team. Yeah. They lose Justin Jefferson right, to the hamstring injury. He goes on IR. Kirk Cousins, who, mind you, I was just looking this up earlier today, and we can get in a Stroud conversation if you want about yeah, that's where, maybe where, if he should be part of the MVP conversation. But, dude, Cousins right now has missed two games. He's still top 10 in passing yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe he has 18 touchdowns, only five interceptions. He hasn't played in two weeks which would be tied for second in the league, completing 70% of his passes. It's absurd the streak that Cousins was on. And mind you, doing some of that without Jefferson as well. But now you get, a, you get a team that they didn't have K.J. Osborne yesterday. Cam Akers, who they traded for, looked like he was going to be uh, maybe the bell cow back at the end yep. of the year with the way he was running the football. He tears his Achilles. He's out. And so you're as decimated as could be, and yet Ty Chandler steps up, Addison Hawkinson, all these people, Brandon Powell's done better for them. Like It's crazy to see what they've been able to overcome. And then obviously Dobbs performance as well that you lump into all this. And, and I'll say this, they haven't played Detroit yet in the division. So I know we're raving about Detroit, but I mean, they, they can be a playoff team. Gareth says they can win the NFC North still. Like yeah. that's still kind of up in the air. Yeah. That's, that's the way I feel about them too, is that they're, they're not just passable, that they're good. And that Dobbs was just the perfect guy. Cause it, it's clear what cousins means to that team, right? Like they, they love that guy. Uh, watching the yeah. quarterback series, but then also just the the T-shirts, all of it, the way the team reacted when he got hurt. And then they just brought in the perfect guy to almost seemingly help put the team back together, keep the team together with Dobbs. I'm, I'm a huge fan. I've never understood people who are just like a fan of a player, not a team, right? Like there's Steph Curry fans, LeBron fans in basketball. That's the thing. I, I feel like I'm just a Josh Dobbs fan. He's doing, he's doing so great. It's been so awesome all year. I might just abandon the Seahawks and just go wherever Dobbs goes. Okay, so yeah, let's do the Stroud thing. Um, 
over three over 335 passing yards in back-to-back games. Uh, just beat the Bengals in a game in a way too where I diamond it just kick their ass for big portions of this game. And I, how I felt on that final drive too, when Boyd drops the touchdown pass, which is the alternate reality for the Bengals and what we're talking about right now. But that with that much time on the clock, I went, Oh, Stroud is a hundred percent going to go down the field and score here. And there's not too many quarterbacks that we all feel that way about, especially not this season where you just outlined it, that cousins is still top 10 in passing. If you could take, you know, any player today, right? I think it would still be Mahomes number one, right? It would, we would still want to take Mahomes, but where does Stroud fit into this conversation? Like, is it is it too hyperbolic to say that already at 22 years old he's jumped over guys like Trevor Lawrence? Um, it, it might be a little quick to make that. However, I mean, Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars situation looks like is obviously you know at the forefront of, of their issues. I mean, they, they've they've got some soul searching to do offensively, but. I would go and say this. He's he's locked up offensive rookie of the year. I no think question. he's got a strong case even right now for MVP, second in the league in passing yards. He's 15 touchdowns and two interceptions. And he's doing that on a team that is so much better than where they were a year ago. They're five mm-hmm. and four. If the playoffs started today, they're in the playoffs in the AFC. So that is so much further ahead of, of the, the timeline that I think we thought the Texans may be on with D'Amico Ryans and, and obviously Stroud and then Will Anderson Jr., who was – that first round pick as well in the building blocks that they have. And by the way, he did it without Nico Collins has been a big, yep. big piece of their, of their passing game. So yeah, Brown, who uh, is a nondescript me, guy on the Cowboys is all of a sudden a stud with CJ Stroud. And, and by the way, tank Dell, who everyone thought was too small. Yeah. Now all of a sudden comes to the forefront. No one can cover him. But I mean, look, their coaching staff deserves credit. He deserves credit. And they haven't had a running game. Like that's the other thing is like, they really haven't been able to run the football at all. Yesterday was actually okay. But um, he's carried them like he's literally carried them. And, and so I think to answer your question, like the feeling that you, j- what you just said, when you look at a game and go, Oh, he's, they're going to go down and win this. Like when you feel that way about a quarterback, like that's when you know you have your franchise guy, when you're able to feel that way halfway through this guy's rookie season. I mean, it's only up from here. That's the crazy thing. And I was talking about this earlier today. You know, when you're looking at his game from college to the NFL, you know, people had questions about, like, his mobility and all that stuff. Like, well, he demonstrated that in the Georgia game. And that was, like, kind of alleviated. Like, oh, he's got it. He just, you know, he's got it. He had to show it. What, what I think a lot of people missed out on was how accurate he was down the field. Like, obviously, you know, he was throwing to great wide receivers. He had a lot of first-round picks he was throwing to. But when you really go back and watch the tape and the ball placement, even though the guys are running with five yards of cushion, it was still, like, in stride, into the end zone. Like, it was perfect where the ball should be. He's a good decision maker, like all those traits. And he plays in the pocket. And I think a lot of times where we get caught up is we get so enamored with the guys who we want to compare to Patrick Mahomes because of the, the way they extend plays, the way they can create off script to throw off platform. What you tend to forget is like, Hey, Tom Brady won what seven Super Bowls? Like, guess what? He did that because he played from the pocket. And that's still really where you're protecting, where you win at quarterback in the NFL. And CJ Stroud has that ability. Like he, he is that type of player. So um, I think if you're starting a franchise right now, he'd be really high up on that list with the way he's played so far this season, and especially the way he's elevated the team that he's playing on right now. He's 22 years old. I I would say you definitely take Mahomes. You're still taking Burrow, even though Burrow's 26 and he's had some lower body injuries. But even if you were talking about it to me going, 
well, how much should that be a consideration? I would say, well, it's at least something. It's at least something that we should talk about. I think you're still taking Josh Allen because he's just more of a sure thing. But after that, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's him. It's Herbert. It's him. He's, he's, he's in that mix of players. Like, I would 100% take Stroud over, uh, over Trevor Lawrence right now. I just don't know how I would ever ma- even make the case against it. It's like one guy seemingly is just elevating players no matter what. And he start, what did he start the year with? Like, like down three offensive linemen, C.J. Stroud? I, I get that the yeah. Jags won five straight and that the team has been solid and that Trevor Lawrence maybe doesn't have the weapons or the protection, whatever, blah, 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 blah. I just every week I don't see the stuff from Trevor Lawrence that I see from C.J. Stroud. He's been much more consistent. And, again, you thought that would be a different story with, with year mm-hmm. two with Doug Peterson. Calvin Ridley is part of that group of pass catchers, and it's like – they almost can't quite figure it out. So, again, credit to D'Amico and Slowig and the rest of their staff for also being a part of that um, because that's, what I think, where the pressure is mounting in Jacksonville is, you know, how can Trevor look how he did last year and then look how he does this year? And, and I know they've had some offensive line issues, especially on the interior of their offensive line, but there's also some disconnect here with the play calling where it feels like the team feels just disjointed. It doesn't feel like there's a rhythm or flow to it. And maybe that's on Press Taylor, or maybe it's on Doug Peterson to figure out, you know, why that is. But, you know, you'd expect more consistency from Trevor Lawrence at this point in time. I was going to say, do you think it's fair to say Trevor Lawrence is really good? He could still be an all-star in this league. He's likely to be an all-star in this league, but that the whole idea that he was going to be a generational talent maybe is gone. I don't know. I, I still think it's a little early to, to make that claim. I mean, this this was a kid who, like, when I watched him, he was a junior in high school. I mean, he just mm-hmm. he looked different. He looked generational a generational talent. When you saw him as a freshman at Clemson on the biggest stages, he was able to deliver. I think the one concern I had from watching him and, and look, this is like, Hey, you've got a guy who's a generational talent. Everyone wants to say like, what's one thing you look at and go, that's odd. I, I kind of did feel like he would lock in on his first read at times. Now, granted, when you're throwing to some of the receivers you're throwing to, it's hard as a quarterback not to, because you've got a difference maker that you know is going to make a play and contested, you know, a contested ball or a tight game or a tight window it's hard not to like give that guy an extra beat, right? Or to want to throw that guy. But you get to the NFL level, and a lot of times you just don't either have time to pocket or it hurts you then working through your progression somewhere else on the field because timing's so important, uh, working from the pocket and working through your progressions in any given play. So mm. I, that is one thing that I think from time to time, I'm like, man, like move on to this guy or, or like get to your third progression or get, get off that. You know, like it's, it's almost like he, again, and maybe that's how they're coaching it. You don't know unless you're in that room, but that was one thing that was a little bit concerning just watching him yesterday. And I think it was one thing that when he was coming out that you kind of watched and go, huh, I wonder if this is going to translate over the NFL, if that's going to be an issue. Okay. So from the Niners point of view in this game, this is going to sound like a weird one because it was such an impressive win, but are we really going to learn anything about this team and Brock Purdy until they win a game against a good opponent where they play from behind in the fourth quarter? I mean, it's a fair question, right? Cause that's where Purdy struggled the most. I mean, really what you're asking is you're not asking about the team. You're asking about Brock Purdy. Because Brock Purdy, when he's been faced with that, he hasn't really done well. By the way, you can even make the case that go look at Kyle Shanahan's record. Oh, yeah, no, I was going to say it's more than Purdy. It's when they can't run the ball. So so that's where – well, and that's the issue, is if you look at the offense and what it's based or predicated upon, it's it's all the outside zone running game. And it's the boots off of it, right? You get the defense going one way, you throw back the other way. And it's the play action off of it. So when you are in a one-dimensional scenario and you have to throw – you know, if you look at how that roster is constructed, Brandon Ayuk is really the only guy that can separate when he's in one-on-one coverage and he's, he's maybe even in double coverage, right? He's got that speed 
athleticism and route running ability. You know, Debo's back. He's more of a Swiss Army knife, but mm-hmm. it's not like he's the most fleet of foot. Like, they scheme him up to get separation, or he's able through a good route or a matchup to be able to get separation. So it's a, it's a little different scenario with them. And George Kittle obviously can can make plays and contested plays and catches. You know, it was funny that the big play he had in that game. I was looking back thinking that probably could have been OPI based on the push-off. But, you know, it's you know that's how he has to create separation. You know, the tight end like that, a more traditional tight end, he's not going to be able to, you know, outrun guys or create separation at the top of routes. So, you know, it's – I understand why you asked that question and why I think everyone's got that question. But I guess we just have to see it before we're able to believe it because I don't know how else – you know, you're going to be able to answer that question until you get to that scenario where they're down in the fourth quarter and Brock Purdy's got to, you know, carry them throwing the football around and Kyle Shanahan has got to mm. call that sort of game. Yeah, I, I don't trust it. I, I, th- I think that they could easily win a Super Bowl this year just because they could be the front runners the entire year. I, I really, their team is awesome. Their defense is so talented. They've got all these playmakers. McCaffrey's playing out of his mind. They get Trent Williams back and all of a sudden they can just block again. It, it's a completely different team with him in the lineup. But I just don't, like, I don't really care seeing them win that way I, as the way that I would with other teams where I go, oh, that's awesome. They, look, they're back on track. Like, for me, to, to to really trust the Niners, to view them as, instead of a contender to a favorite, it's, oh, yeah, had they come back in a game? Had we seen them trail and then find a way to win with their passing attack and not just the, the, the run game? So that's where I'm at with them. I, I don't want to – it's not like I'm trying to trash them. I do hate the Niners openly. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, I just – I don't – yeah, I, I I don't care as much as I would have with other teams. Like, even if it was, like, the Eagles who did this or another team that had a get-right game against the Jags, I'd be way more impressed. With the Niners, I'm like, yeah, this is kind of what I expect you to do. Serious question. Like, how different are they without Jimmy Garoppolo, quarterback, with Brock Purdy? You know, like, it's almost like they're not really that different as far as the concerns that you have. Yeah. Like, wasn't that your concern about the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo? 100%. I mean, outside of him staying healthy, but, like, yeah. He won a lot of games as their starter, and it was kind of like, hey, can he bring them back when they're down, you know, in the fourth quarter of a game to, to win a game? Like, that was the same concerns we had about Jimmy G. Did the Browns change your perception of them this week with the way that they came back in that game, and most specifically, like, the Deshaun Watson play? I, I think so in the sense of just seeing Deshaun Watson make that sort of play for them, because he really hasn't since he's been there. And so I think it was twofold, him making that play, but also persevering. Like, when he's played poorly in games, especially out the gate where he's thrown pick sixes on his first pass them now twice this season, mm-hmm. like typically he's just had a bad game and he was able to fight through it. He was able to get out of his playing a little banged up through his ankle injury. So I think that was a step for him. And I think he's trying to find his confidence as a player, as a quarterback. Um, I, I, I'll continue to say this. Like, I don't know that this Stefanski offense is best for, Deshaun Watson to flourish, but until that changes, like it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But I think for him mentally, that's probably a huge step in the right direction of how he he's going to have to play if they're going to make a run at a Super Bowl because they've got the running game, they've got the defense to do it. It's just a matter of of him being able to lead them there. The only thing I'd say about that game, though, is when you're up two scores with eight minutes left and you're running the ball for if you want to remove Lamar Jackson from it, they're still averaging over four yards per attempt with the running backs. Like, why are you throwing the football when you're backed up like that? I mean, if you're Todd Monk, I'm like, I get it. You're, you were brought in there to make this team more of a passing team, but have two scores with eight minutes and change. Like you're not just going to try to run the football a few times. See if you can't, you know, find a way of, of physically dominating them. I mean, 
you literally play in the hands of what Cleveland wants you to do. Jim Schwartz is a wide nine guy. Let's rush, get up field. We've got coverage players on the outside. We're going to figure out a way of making things happen. Sure enough, batted pass. Feels like it's in the air forever. And Greg Newsom's a pick six, and boom, mm-hmm. they're right back in that game. I, I just, as much as I want to buy into two, Cleveland getting a great win on the road, it's a really tough place to win. I also look at it and go, this is partially on John Harbaugh and Todd Munkin for ever putting their team in that position. Like, I, I just think, I know it sounds conservative, but that was not the moment where you needed Lamar to make a throw or Lamar to do something to go win the game. Like, you're up by two scores. Like, milk the clock. Play the field position battle. Your defense is the best in the NFL. You know, it's okay to punt. It's okay to take two, three minutes off the clock and go punt and see if Cleveland can find any way of scoring two touchdowns to go win that. Here's the thing. I love bringing this up because my brother's a big Ravens fan, but this was just such a common Ravens performance where you're starting to believe, holy crap, this team's so different. Oh, man, this team, this Ravens team, what a juggernaut. They're putting it together. The Ravens the best team in the the AFC. Oh, should we be talking about Lamar for MVP? Blah, 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 blah. They've blown more 10 or double-digit leads than any team in the NFL over the last two seasons. There's just something about this team where they do not protect leads well. And, yeah, that the Mitchell kid looks great, but you're right. They should have been more conservative in their game plan. They should have found a way to get this stop. And this defense that everyone was, like, crowing about for weeks, they looked pretty mediocre against Deshaun Watson at times. And this is with, by the way, he's missing, what is it, two offensive linemen or three right now for, for Cleveland? Yeah, they're, they're missing a bunch of guys up front, and he was making plays. And I like to see it. And then all of a sudden, the Ravens game ends, and you go, wait, how many players did they lose? Ronnie Stanley limps off. He's, he gets hurt. Uh, who else got hurt for the Ravens this game? Somebody else I think was on their defense. But, yeah, they just they have a couple injuries. They look mediocre. They blow a lead, and I go, same old Ravens. I'm sorry, but it just that was the same yeah. old Ravens game. Uh, and, yeah, so credit to the Browns. But, yeah, there's just something about Baltimore that every time you want to believe, they, they just they collapse. And, yeah, that's uh, why I don't have them in the, the, that, that same top tier of Super Bowl contenders is I just don't trust them to protect leads. But that's like asking the general question, like, who's great? Right, in the NFL right now. I mean, like, I go back to last year, and Kansas City lost one game. Yeah, I know. For that, week seven to the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, like, and, and maybe they'll do that this year. I, I, I was going to say, know, guess what? It's the end. We're, we're going we're gonna to wring our hands about their offense all year, and they, they're just going to be fine, and they're going to be there again. It's going to be them and the Eagles well, again, or them and the Niners. Yeah, Philly, Philly has the best record, and so yeah. maybe you'd say Philly's that team this year, although I don't know that anyone walks away always going – Man, they looked really impressed. No, they feel off. The way off. Hurts has fought through things, and they, they do. It feels like they're, they're not clicking the same way they were last year when they were as dominant. So, mm-hmm. look, I think that's good for the league in some ways, but in other ways, I mean, it, it makes you really wonder, like, what's kind of the disconnect with some of these teams? Is it their inability to maintain a roster, to have kind of a, a, a dynasty or a group that's able to succeed for a series of years? Mm-hmm. Um, is it the lack of, you know, keeping quarterbacks healthy and, and injuries playing a role in all of that? It, it's tough to touch on what it is, but I mean, there's definitely been some major inconsistencies with some of the teams that I think you look at as some of the best, but then they go through these lulls like San Francisco for three weeks or, you know, Baltimore having these inconsistent, poor performances where they feel like they almost give away games at times. Yeah. I think the Niners are the best team in the NFC. I just don't trust them to come back in games. And I like it when teams can win in a variety of ways. And I think we all do. So that's why I just don't have that same level of trust for them. But that it's like I have them in Philly in the NFC, and I, I just don't think any other team. The, old, the third would be actually Dallas. But it's just that same thing with the Ravens where you're chokers. I think losers lose. They find ways to lose, and that just seems to be the Cowboys' M.O. 
the AFC, it's deeper, but yeah, I just, I came away from this weekend feeling like, you know, it's just, this is just the chief's world and we're, and we're living in it. And if someone beats them, great. But ultimately I, I, I think they're going to be there. And I think that, yeah, it's going to start to feel like the Patriots at Super Bowls where we're like, what are we supposed to talk about with this team? What are we supposed to do here during the, the media weeks? Cause there's just nothing else to say. Uh, Brady, thanks as always for the time, brother. I really enjoyed the chat today. Yeah, again, like I said, as little at this point, we had talked about Belichick. I mean, two and eight, it feels like it's a dumpster fire, especially the way he managed that game down the stretch. Yeah. But we'll, we'll save that for next. Oh week. yeah, we'll right. you, no, you can dump on Belichick. You can hold on. We can wait for you to dump on Belichick. You want to just? Well, try? I mean, look, you could call into question him being a general manager and the roster mm-hmm. that he's built and the lack of success since Brady left there and all that. But this was one of the first times where, outside of the Patricia hires that we see last year, like mm-hmm. you look at it and go. It's it's there's down seven to three. It's fourth and goal, and you're going to kick it with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Like your offense hasn't done anything. Like this is your best shot of probably throwing a touchdown and scoring a touchdown. Why not go for it there? Their offense hasn't done anything. If they're backed up, so be. You play the field position battle. Instead, mm-hmm. you kick it. So you're still down seven six. You still need need a touchdown. You give up a return to the 50 yard line. A couple first downs later, they're kicking a field goal to go up 10 six. Mm-hmm. So now you need a touchdown again. Like it's just. It made no sense. And then to put Bailey Zappi in with less than two minutes coming in cold, who I can promise you as a quarterback who started and was backup, when you're a backup, you never get reps for situations like that. Two-minute red zone, third down. You're, you're, if you're a starter, you're not giving them up. If you're a backup, you're not seeing those. If you get any reps throughout the course of the week. And to put him in that scenario, like what do you expect? He was going to lead them triumphantly down the field. I mean, of course you're going to have a fake spike throw into triple coverage because yeah. – yeah, he probably has never run that play in practice in his entire career with the Patriots. It's just, it was one of those deals that everyone's going to talk about Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. Everyone, it was, it was, this is like coming to a point where it's like, he's really showing his you know colors right now, true colors through adversity. And it's just shocking to see it look this bad at this point. I don't take you for a gambling man, correct? I'm not. Yeah. All right. There's something that they tell you not to do in sports wagering, which is, and it's all wagering all gambling. They say, don't chase bet because what it is, is you lose a bet and then you make a really stupid bet because you're just mad right. and you really want to win your money back. And I saw Belichick make that decision. And I went, Oh, I've been there. <laughs> How's the most I've ever related to Bill Belichick was I went, Oh, that was, that was a chase bet. What you just did there. You went like, Oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Whatever. I'm going to throw a couple grand at Billy Zappi. Right. And you're like, Nope, that was not the thing to do. That was not it. <laughs> and so, and especially not the, the play that they ran for him. Poor guy. But yeah, I, I'm with you. It's just, it's bad. It's, they're in the worst position where they have one of the greatest coaches of all time, but this post Tom Brady era has been bad for everybody. And I don't know if you can bring him back and yet you don't want to have him go out, you know, with any kind of disparaging remarks or like a bad legacy play here. I just, they, they feel like they're stuck in a rock and a hard place. There's reports that he and Kraft aren't seeing eye to eye. It just, this is as bad as it could have possibly ended in New England for Bill Belichick. Like, it, it's just, that's the way to put it. Yeah, this isn't the story script ending, right? No. I mean, I can't imagine he's going to be doing the walk of shame away from Foxborough, right? I mean, just, I just, it's it's shocking that it's come to this. Um, I, I never would have envisioned it. And, and who knows, maybe, you know, people, people think, oh, he's going to get fired. I'm like, well, he's not going to get fired for two reasons. One, He's tradable. I mean, there's probably some other organizations that would give up draft capital for him. So if they he's have contract, to get that. No, they have to him. get that. They, that. I thought about that this and, morning on the train. It was like, that's the only way out is that they get a nice draft pick for Bill 
and that it's a place where he says he wanted to go and that they they kind of smooth it over and it, it can't be in the AFC, right? Yeah. It has to be a team in the NFC and they have to get basically a first round pick for him. Otherwise, it's just like you can't fire him. Like they can't they they cannot fire Bill Belichick. It's just, he's, he's done too much. That's you can say I mean. you agreed apart in very separate ways, but I, I, I do think they'd do it for less than a first round pick. Oof. I think if you could do it for like a second and something else, like you, like it, it'd be worth it. I mean, I, again, I don't, I don't know how many years he has left on, left on his deal, but I, I think if you could get a second and something else for him, mm. you for sure take that. If, if you're planning on moving on from where you want a fresh yeah. start anyway. Oof. All right. Well, I like that. That was fun. I like dumping on the Patriots. <laughs> so I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed you sticking around to do that. That felt good. Ah, that's a better place to end. <laughs> see you, buddy. All right. See you. Oh, there goes Brady Quinn. Yeah. I hate the Patriots. And Who doesn't? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. All their fans are frauds in yes. this country anyways. Down there, they're real, but Canadian Patriots fans are the biggest frauds on planet Earth other than Warriors fans. Right. Canadian Warriors fans, but they're mostly kids, so you give them a break. I was about to say. But if, you meet an adult, but if you meet an adult in a Steph Curry jersey, it's like, what are That's you tough. doing? I know. I know. What are yeah. you doing? Yeah. You can't wear that. Must be... 18 or under to be rocking a Steph Curry jersey. Although those kids are probably getting older now. Maybe it's 21. Maybe it's 20. 20 is the cutoff for a Steph Curry yeah, jersey. Yeah, even then. Yeah, but you're right. I mean. you're no, right. but that, that's it. But Patriots fans are our ages Warriors fans. Yes. Where they just went, oh, I'm going to go cheer for this team, and I'm a diehard Patriots fan. Yeah. And then they all talked like, oh, and then Tom Brady went and they to, were and they were Bucks like, we're fans. Bucks fans. Yeah. And then they were like, Bill's the man, Bill's the man, and now it's just, oh, wait, what's the, what are we supposed to yeah. do here about this? So anyway, it's just you're seeing it because they've all abandoned it. You never hear about the Patriots anymore because, again, all their fans are frauds, and there's zero of them that I respect. Zero. Yes. There's not a single one that I have even, like, one ounce. It's the least respect I have for any fan base is – yeah, Patriots fans in Canada. That's and, as low until as the Warriors fans become of age, and then yeah. you'll have no respect for them until they're no longer but they children. But here's the thing, though: they're not Warriors fans. This is the difference. Right, right, right. They're they're they don't Steph claim Curry fans. To, they say that, yeah, and so yeah. when they grow up, they're not going to follow the Warriors. They're not right. going to be diehard Warriors fans. Like they don't just, know who Montellus is. Who Montellus? Do you? So how about Andres Biedrich? <laughs> yes. Our boy Andres Biedrich. Yeah, of what course. Worst free throws. Uh, ugliest free he throws. He got paid and then was terrible yeah, immediately. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, the, that Bailey Zappi fake spike throw, by the yeah. way. I just want to spend a, another second on that because sure. that was outrageous. Yeah. And shout out to Rich Eisen on the call for that because he was really funny on it, being like a fake yeah. spike throw yeah. into double or quadruple coverage from Bailey Zappi. Eisen There's the was sentence the best part of the game. It. it was amazing. He was the best part of the game because every time they were doing flags for hits. He had the 15 yards for playing football call. Yeah. I loved it because yeah. that game was so poorly officiated. I'm going, so you're bringing this game to Europe and you're trying to sell this game. And every time there's a hit, you're throwing yeah. a 15 yard penalty. It, disgusting stuff. It's just the NFL has this so, 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 so wrong. But yeah, um, I'm trying to think of who I respect less than Canadian Patriots fans. And I really can't think of anything. I kind of... I kind of think it's really lame when you live in a city with an NHL team in Canada and you're not from the city, you know, like if you're a, you're like a Washington Capitals fan, but you live in Toronto, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Penguins fans in Ontario that are like, I'm Sid. If you're from Nova Scotia, you're allowed to be right. a Penguins fan. If you're from Southern Ontario, you're from here and you like the Penguins more than the Leafs. That's just quitter stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just, that's, that's no way to live. So that's kind of in there. That, that pocket of fans of, 
I cheer for like Red Wings kind of fine, you know, because yeah. it's close enough and it's an original six team and there's some people and from like, Windsor. I was and they, say, people have parents from Western yeah, Ontario yeah, yeah. or that's, whatever. That's, who grew that's up kind of one. Fans. That's kind of one. Avalanche is worse. There's people who are Avalanche fans that are that that, that are like our And they're age. what? Because our age yeah, and, yeah. and exactly. Joe Sackick and yeah, Peter yeah, Forsberg yeah. and our That's another I mean. Latvian shout out, Santa yeah. Sosa, which yeah, we're super sick. Yeah, darts. Oh. Guy who smoked darts and played in hockey till he was in his 40s. Captaining the, Lat- the Latvian yeah, national team at like 45. My favorite player maybe what ever a beauty. in any sport. Uh, yeah, I, those are uh, someday I'll reveal the ones I have the least respect the for. The worst fan yeah. power rankings. The most respect I have is like Bills fans, Browns fans, like the ones that are, especially that's why I was so happy for the Browns. Can I just say quickly, shout out to the Browns. Beating Baltimore, the team that stole the city that yeah. stole your team, right? They stole your team in a greasy way. You know, then they named the team after a guy who married his cousin, Edgar <laughs> Allan Poe. It's like Shelby. Yeah, though. he was, yeah, uh, dishonorably <laughs> discharged, by the way, Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> Dishon- <laughs> Not enough people talk about that with Edgar Allan Poe. And actually, that I'm pretty sure he wrote The Raven in living in Philadelphia. So there's three quick... Edgar Allan Poe fast died in a gutter (laughs) (laughs) and you named your team after him and that's who they stole your team and then moved them there. And then to get that comeback win, that was a nice one for the Brownies. That was a nice one for the Brownies. I was real happy for Browns fans this weekend. That was a good one. That was a good one. But yeah, Edgar Allan Poe, those are all true. Those are all facts. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, time to take a break. Let's hit what we missed. All right, we got to do what we missed. Uh, there's tons of good stuff in here. I didn't leave enough time because we had to do more football. We had to trash Patriots fans and then Ravens fans, a.k.a. my brother. And Edgar Allan Poe. But that's that's grilling my brother. Oh, that's also about the fans. Yeah. I don't know if that was just a personal attack on... No, no, no. <laughs> but I told you, the reason why I know Edgar Allan Poe stuff is actually because I love Edgar Allan yeah. Poe. Because yeah. it didn't come across that you were a fan. No, no, no. Just platform. the reason why I know those stats is because I know about the man because I'm a big fan. He invented, I told you, but like one of my favorite genres. Anyway, uh, Tom Segura's Come Together Tour hits Casino Rama Resort on May 3rd. We are giving tickets away all week long. To enter, all you have to do is tune into episodes of this podcast, the JD Bunkers podcast, listen for the code word, then text the code word to 59590. Today, the code word is, get ready for it, laugh. So text LAUGH to 59590 right now to enter for your chance to win. We will be giving away another pair of tickets tomorrow with tickets officially go on sale November 17th at 10 a.m. on Ticketmaster. Um, Yeah, I don't even need to say this part, but I can't believe we're even giving away tickets to this thing because it's Tom freaking Segura, who I've seen live three times. And guess what's happened to me all three times I've seen Tom Segura live? I laughed really hard. I had the best time. All he does is kill. He's uh, truly in the top three right now, has been for a long time. Just, yes, amazing. Go, here's, here's what I'll say. Again, this is not part of the ad read. You can win these tickets. Yeah, if you haven't seen Tom Segura and you love stand-up comedy, you should probably just buy those tickets anyway. Uh, anyway, all right, what did we miss? All right, the Celtics played the Raptors on Saturday. All right. You right. didn't like that, hey? You didn't <laughs> yeah. like that. I liked it. All right. All right thanks, okay, Adam. yeah, thanks. what's up? <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> Raptors are getting blown out by 27 yeah. on Saturday night. And Joe Mazzula called a challenge with three minutes and change left. It was just a deflected uh-huh. ball challenge. And then post-game, mm-hmm. the Raptors took exception during the game. And then post-game, yeah, they did. Dennis Schroeder did. Yeah. 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 Everybody was not happy. Schroeder told Celtics reporter Gary Washburn post-game, up 30, you're not supposed to challenge nothing. You won. It's three minutes left. You shouldn't disrespect us like that. 
Disrespectful okay. or no? So a couple things. Remember when I said I recorded the Mavericks game the other week and I, and I watched it and I was like, wow, this is so fun. It was the opposite with the Raptors. Uh, on the, the, <laughs> this game on Saturday is I watched the Leafs and I had the Raptors on record and I watched this game. I was kind of paying attention to this one actually a little bit throughout because it was a blowout and there was just like good gaps with the way that they started the Leafs game where I could kind of just watch the start of the Raptors and whatever. Anyway, I recorded it and I watched it back and I didn't see that part live because at that point I went, yeah, yeah, I'm not watching any more of this. We're good here. We've got it. So I saw that piece of it all on social media later. And I went, whoa, why is Darko? Darko's getting in somebody's face. He and Azula are getting a little bit of a rivalry here. I like that there was hate between the teams. I actually don't mind it at all. Um, is it disrespectful? Yeah. Guess what? You should try to disrespect your opponent sometimes, especially if they're a divisional opponent that you've had matchups with in postseasons recently that's in your division that, listen, Toronto, you always want a rivalry with the Celtics. People who are Raptors fans here hate the Celtics. It's a big thing. It's probably the least popular team in all of Toronto is Boston, right? Who else? It's definitely them. It's the Celtics. Maybe Philly. But I think it's, yeah. I think it's, I'm pretty sure that it's Boston. If you pulled Raptors fans, you'd be like, who's the least popular franchise? Boston. I like that they disrespected us. Good. They should. Don't you want the Raptors to disrespect Boston? Isn't that nice? Isn't that what's cool when you see people competitive with one another, when two teams hate each other and they really want to beat one another and a regular season game feels like it has juice? Yeah. So was it disrespectful? Yeah, a little. It wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen, right? It's worse seeing guys like Lance Stevenson hit layups when the game's out of hand, when you see like the players breaking the code. Joe Mazzulla challenged a play. One of his guys told him to challenge it. He did it. He probably did it. My guess is that some guy was like, challenge. And then he just automatically did yeah. it and then went, oh, right, whoops. And then Darko made a big deal of it, so he's not going to back down. And then they get into it, and then Schroeder brings it up post game. I found the Raptors, where you say do something about it, is you get the opportunity this week to play them in a playing game on Friday, right? Beat them then. Yeah. It's in Toronto too, right? I think, so. I think I think it is. I think, it I think is. it's here because that game was in Boston, so it only makes sense that this one and we, like we haven't had a playing game, or I keep calling it the playing yeah, game. Yeah, I know in season tournament, it's tough. I've oh. done that a couple times. Okay. I've done it so many times, and people go, "What do you mean the playing game?" And I go, I'm like, "Ah, oh, sorry, I'm barely sorry." I'm well, and here's it. the thing about the in season tournament: yeah. point differential is a tiebreaker, so the Raptors mm-hmm. could, if they're up late, run that score up. Starters in, you know, yeah. really disrespect them. Yeah, Come some on. teams are already doing that. I know, is, yeah, 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 for sure, at- as they as they should be yeah. anyway. Schroeder always on the Raptor show on Tuesdays, so I'll be very much looking forward to hearing what he has to say about it with. Uh, Blake, Will, and Alex. Anyway, uh, what's next? Uh, the Oilers finally did the thing. They fired oh, yeah. head coach Jay <laughs> yeah. Woodcroft. I mean, I, I think everyone saw this coming. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? What you got? Uh, it was a little weird because they lost the Sharks, didn't do it, and then they beat the Kraken, and it was a nice game. Zach Hyman, by the way, natural hat trick, just put the team on his back. Just such a, what a player. Um, and then they fire him. People yeah. took exception with that for some reason. And I went, all right. You could kind of tell if you were paying attention to the Woodcroft media stuff, the for way that he was sure. acting with people. Yeah. Where he took a shot at Mark Spector. And then he was starting to do the whole cheer up Gene to someone. It was just, he was doing the, he was, he was just loose. Mm. You could tell he was just, I, I got nothing to lose here. Yeah, man, he right? knew he was perhaps in his final days. Yeah. Was, yeah. Walking off the ice after that uh, Sharks game. Yeah, he was caught like lip reading. He's like, I think that was it. They, they're done. The team isn't done, but they, he was done. Sorry. Um, I think it's pretty interesting though that uh, they've now placed Connor McDavid people everywhere around the organization, and 
I would do that too if I was Edmonton because you can't lose McDavid. No. You can't lose McDavid, so you just have to satiate him and hope that this works. But ultimately, here's the problem. I think the only thing that's ever going to satiate Connor McDavid is winning Stanley Cup. So it doesn't matter if you hire his junior coach, right? People are like, oh, look, it doesn't matter if you have his agent and, you know, like it, it doesn't matter. He's got to win. Yeah. So, yeah, all of this stuff to me is just kind of window dressing. And I didn't put too much stock into them. Like, it's great. He, I'm sure he stumped for his coach. He gets an opportunity. It's a nice uh, showing to McDavid, but the guy's going to want to win. And Edmonton needs to win because you, you can't have the best player on planet Earth. Uh go this long without winning or being competitive or not even getting the opportunity in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Anyways, let's do one more. Uh, Kevin Durant and LeBron James and Paul Pierce were all weighing in on, on like athletes being friends with each other and competing against each other. Uh, Katie and LeBron were kind of on team. When you play friends, you, you up your game, you know, you try to best your buddy. Paul Pierce was absolutely on, you want to crush your enemies. Yeah, What's no better, beating enemies or beating friends? This is the most outrageous LeBron. <laughs> Again, LeCap, just, he's just always capping. <laughs> it's just, oh yeah, no, it feels better to beat your friend. No. Do you want to beat your friends? Of course. Is it fun to beat your friends? Especially if you have like a rivalry. Just, yes. You know, yes, of course. This is the best, right? Because you don't get to face your enemies in these things because you're not around them. But have you ever beaten an enemy or something? I highly recommend. <laughs> highly recommend. You should start challenging yeah. your enemies to more here's, things. Here's what I would say. Fight your best friend and fight someone you hate and see how you feel after those two things. <laughs> like, this is the most, this is the dumbest thing ever. Uh, yeah, do I think that LeBron and KD compete against one another? Do I think they elevate their games against one another? I do. I think that they care. And... That's it, though. That's it's... their only defense to the argument. Yeah, but that's it. That's what I mean is because they all want to be best friends. But well, some they're... people overhype that, oh, you guys are friends. You're not going to – you're not trying against each other. No, it's not like... – no, I think that's the opposite. I think that the best we ever saw KD was his first finals against LeBron where he said, I want to be the best player on the planet. And yeah. he showed out and he ended that game three with that pull-up three and said, I'm the man now. And then I think part of the reason why KD has the inferiority complex is he thought he was going to get all these flowers – winning that top, that finals and getting finals MVP. And then he didn't get his credit. And I think he's been kind of sour ever since because of LeBron. But either way, you still want to beat your enemies, one of your friends. What are you talking about? Duh. Anyway, subscribe to this podcast. Leave five stars. Share it, please, for the love of God. And we'll see you tomorrow.